from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, stop me if you've heard this before. I think I know that you have. A new defensive missile that could one day defend Hawaii against North Korean attack was uh, tested about a week and a half ago. And it failed to intercept its target. The standard missile Block 2A missile is being developed jointly by the U.S. and Japan to defeat medium and intermediate range ballistic missiles, but also may be able to defend Hawaii. It's a throw-in. A medium range ballistic target mi- target missile was launched from Kauai, wettest place on Earth, turns out. I found that out in another adventure. The uh, destroyer USS John Paul Jones in Pearl Harbor, lucky, lucky place for it, uses a test bed for missile defense, detected and tracked the target missile with its onboard radar. After acquiring and tracking the target, not acquiring in the sense of, you know, going shopping. After acquiring and tracking the target, the ship launched an SM-32A guided missile, but the missile didn't intercept the target. So, not as guided as you'd like. No immediate cause for the failure was given. How about failure? Program officials will conduct an extensive analysis of the test data until that review is complete. No additional details will be available. This was the fourth development flight test using the same missile, the second, not the same exact missile, the same model missile, and the if it was the same missile, it would have just been tired. And the second intercept test, an intercept test conducted in February off Kauai was successful. Well, one out of two is... This failure is part of the regular development process, said uh, an official for the Missile Defense Agency. It should be Ready to be test again by the end of this year. Fingers crossed. Maybe toes, too. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're number one. Yes, we really are. More mothers in the United States die in childbirth than in any other developed country. The, ne- the maternal mortality rate in the U.S., 26.4 deaths per 100,000 births, is three times higher than in the U.K., Germany, or Japan. So who did win World War II? It's eight times higher than the rate in the Netherlands and Sweden, two countries known, according to the website Axios, for successful health care systems. Well, okay, then you've got an excuse. Texas has the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world, with 36 mothers dying per 100,000 babies born. A common cause of maternal death in the U.S. is placenta accreta, No jokes. Uh, This is a uh, condition in which a mother's placental tissue spreads throughout her body instead of containing itself to the uterus. This leads to severe internal bleeding, blood clotting, and death. A major risk factor for this is a previous C-section delivery, which leaves scarring. Today, there are 60 times as many C-sections in the United States as there were in the 1950s. But we didn't have the Internet then. A, uh, an OBGYN in California told Vox, a news website, that many of the C-sections performed in American hospitals are not medically necessary but are convenient for the doctor or patient. Well, this is America. Convenience first. Hello, welcome to the show.
From Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this 4th of July weekend edition of the show. It is another, still another extra special edition of the program. And now... He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He's at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. The Pentagon may have not, again, stop me if you've heard this before, the Army has wasted, the United States Army has wasted money. I know. The Pentagon may have wasted as much as $28 million buying expensive forest camouflage uniforms for Afghan troops in a largely desert country. This is according to the um, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. I think they're going to take the R out of uh, out of the name pretty soon, given what's... The Defense Department bought more expensive proprietary woodland patterns for the Afghan National Army uniforms instead of using the DOD's own, which were available for free, 2.1% of Afghanistan's total land area is covered with forest, according to the Inspector General. His wither- withering... According to McClatchy, 17-page report implies that the Pentagon acquired the designs for the dark green uniforms from a private contractor based on a whim from the Afghan defense minister. Well, whims are good, right? In 2007, the Afghan defense ministry determined it needed distinctive uniforms for its conventional forces that would make them difficult for the enemy to replicate. You know, like the money. U.S. officials ran across designs from a Canadian company called Hyperstealth Online, and the defense minister of Afghanistan at the time, Abdul Rahim, liked what he saw, especially the woodland, urban, and temperate patterns, according to the report. The company issued 1.1 million uniforms in Afghan forest patterns. 
The decision was not based on an evaluation of the appropriateness for the Afghan environment, said the inspector general, added between 26 and 28 million to the cost of procuring uniforms. As a result, said the IG, neither DOD, the Department of Defense, nor the Afghan government knows whether the army uniform is appropriate to the environment of Afghanistan or whether it actually hinders their operations by providing a more clearly visible target for the enemy. He said, some of the uniform's features, zippers instead of buttons, hook and loop fasteners and additional pockets, made them more difficult and expensive to produce. Already, uh, the U.S. government already had the rights to several very similar uniform patterns that were not being used by American troops, could have been used by the Afghan army for free. The Pentagon spent approximately $94 million to procure 1.3 million uniforms and 88,000 extra pairs of pants for the Afghan National Army in the proprietary pattern. Extra pants because, you know, you can get scared in the, in the desert. The summer and winter uniforms range from $45 to $80 per set. That's a jump from the estimate that they would cost between $25 and $30 per uniform. Even they went up. Changing the uniforms used by Afghan troops could save the U.S. taxpayers between 68 and $72 million over the next 10 years. U.S. is spending $3.1 billion a month in Afghanistan. Uniforms, ladies and gentlemen, are a rounding error. But that's not all the money the Army wasted. The U.S. Army failed to provide effective administration and oversight of commercial providers of heavy lift of cargo equipment and personnel in support of Operation Inherent Resolve in Iraq and Syria. That's according to the Defense Department's Inspector General. He says the Army ordered an average of 39% more transportation assets than it needed for heavy lift ground transportation contracts. As a result, the Army wasted $53 million throughout the life of the contracts on services it didn't require. You know, $56 million here, $93 million there. It, it, it never adds up. The morning of the inauguration of President Trump, the president criticized coverage of the event both by the media and the National Park Service. He claimed that a National Mall and Memorial Parks official instructed Park Service employees to alter records related to crowd size estimates for the inauguration. He also alleged that two Park Service employees released information to the press without authorization. You remember that. Just over six months after the day in question, the Office of Inspector General at the National Park Service reports no evidence of wrongdoing. All witnesses interviewed disputed claims that the Park Service officials instructed staff to remove or alter uh, records about crowd size. There was also no evidence proving public affairs employees released any information to the media about the president's call or the employee who responded to the request for photos. So, National Park Service, ladies and gentlemen, not guilty. News of the Inspector General, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. But now, news of the warm, won't you? I think you will. Just a thing that I sense. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the And why wouldn't we, really? Rising temperatures were first identified as a concern for sea turtle populations in the early 1980s. The temperature at which sea turtle embryos incubate determines the sex of an individual. The pivotal temperature for temperature-dependent sex determination is 84 degrees. Both males and females are produced in equal proportions at that temperature. So now, a study by Dr. Jacques-Olivier Lalo 
of Swansea University, Swansea in, Ye- in Wales, College of Science and Publishing Global Change Biology, argues that warmer temperatures associated with climate change could lead to higher numbers of female sea turtles and increased nest failure. We hate that. Could impact negatively on the turtle population in some areas of the world. The Iberian Peninsula is undergoing climate change along with the rest of us. Welcome aboard. With temperatures on the rise and mountain ranges are not exempt from this trend, a team of scientists has analyzed regional climate series from the Central Pyrenees starting in 1910, ending at 2013. That's pretty extensive climate records for you, at least most of the 20th century, concluding that temperatures have risen at an increasing rate since 1970, particularly in spring and summer. Why, those are your warmer months. In the past three decades, temperatures have risen by 4.5 degrees Fahrenheit in Spain, surpassing the European average. Mountain ranges such as the Pyrenees are also subject to climate variations. However, climate change does not affect all regions equally. In order to analyze climate change in the Pyrenees, a team from Spain's Center for Climate Change collected hundreds of climate series from meteorological observatories on the southern side of the mountains and analyzed that representative series of temperatures from that period. The uh, study published in the International Journal of Climatology show a significant rise in temperature over the 20th century, 0.2 degrees Fahrenheit per decade. The change is particularly marked in the most recent period, starting in 1970, when maximum temperature rose by over half a degree per decade. Climate change had a greater impact during the latest period, particularly in the spring and summer months. So go to the Pyrenees in the winter, won't you? 74% of the world's population will be exposed to deadly heat waves by 2100 if carbon gas emissions continue to rise at current rates. That's according to a study published in Nature Climate Change. Even if emissions are aggressively reduced, (laughs) the percent of the world's human population affected is expected to reach 48%. We are running out of choices for the future, said Camila Mora assistant professor of geography at the University of Hawaii at Manoa and lead author of the study. For heat waves, our options are now between bad or terrible. Uh, Alex, I'll take bad for 200. Many people around the world are already paying the ultimate price of heat waves. Models suggest this is likely to continue. It could be much worse if emissions are not considerably reduced, he says. A team of researchers led by Mora found over, well, nearly 2,000 cases of locations worldwide where high ambient temperatures have killed people since 1980. By analyzing the climatic conditions of more than, well, nearly 800 lethal heat episodes for which data were obtained, researchers identified a threshold beyond which temperatures and humidities become deadly. The area of the planet where such a threshold is crossed for 20 more days a year has been increasing, will grow even with dramatic cuts in greenhouse gas emissions. So, buy ice. Buy a lot of ice. Remember those? You ever see from the early days of the 20th century newspapers when um, there'd be heat wave in their cities would always have a, a lady, a lady in a bathing suit sitting on a big, big block of ice to say, here's how you cool off. Look at the lady. I think we're going back to that. Uh, not the lady, the block of ice. And a highly granular assessment of the impact of climate change on the U.S. economy, 
suggests that each one degree Celsius increase in temperature will cost 1.2% of the country's gross domestic product on average. We can afford that. We're rich. We're rich. Atlantic coast counties are expected to suffer the largest losses from cyclone intensification and sea level rise, according to this study. But southern and midwestern states of the United States are expected to suffer the largest losses, exceeding 20% of gross county product in some instances. Some northern and western populations may actually see small economic gains. Declines in agriculture will equal about 9%, according to this study. But, you know, we don't need agriculture. We can... We, we can... Uh, we'll hunt the... the News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, news of the godly. The Archbishop of Canterbury, head of the uh, Anglican Church, Church of England, to you, has asked his predecessor, George Carey, to step down from his role as an honorary assistant bishop. This is after a damning independent report found that senior figures in the Church of England colluded over a 20-year period with a disgraced former bishop who sexually abused boys and men. Not boys, two men. So there's your collusion. Justin Welby said the report on the church's handling of former Bishop Peter Ball, excuse me, made harrowing reading. The church colluded and concealed rather than seeking to help those who were brave enough to come forward. That's inexcusable and shocking behavior, said the Archbishop of Canterbury. To those who are brave enough to share the story and bring Peter Ball to justice, I once again offer an unreserved apology, said the Archbishop of Canterbury. There are no excuses whatsoever for what took place and the systematic abuse of trust perpetrated by Peter Ball over decades, unquote. In a statement, the Bishop of Oxford said Welby had written to Carey asking him to carefully consider his position. That's a polite British for, don't you think you should quit? Ball, a former bishop of both Gloucester and Lewes, was jailed October almost two years ago for the grooming, sexual exploitation, and abuse of 18 vulnerable young men aged 17 to 25 who had sought spiritual guidance from him between 1777 and 1792. One of Ball's victims, the first to come forward with allegations of abuse, attempted suicide three times before killing himself in 2012. Deadline Vatican City, Pope Francis suffered a major blow when his top financial advisor, Cardinal George Pell, was charged in his native Australia with multiple counts of sexual assault from years ago. That that brings a criminal case in the long-running abuse scandal inside the walls of the Vatican for the first time. The 76-year-old Pell, the highest-ranking Vatican official ever implicated in the scandal so far, forcefully denied the accusations and took an immediate leave of absence as Vatican finance czar to return to Australia to defend himself. The Pope thanked him for his honest work and collaboration and set about trying to ensure the financial reforms Pell instituted would continue in his absence. The case creates a thorny image problem for the Pope, says ABC News. Pope has already suffered several credibility setbacks in his promised zero-tolerance policy about sex abuse in the church. He won cautious praise from victims' advocacy groups three years ago when he created a commission of outside experts to advise him 
and the church about best practices to fight abuse and protect children. But the commission has lost much of its credibility after its two members who were survivors of abuse left in frustration. It's a big crisis for Pope Francis because Cardinal Pell was the man he called from Sydney to Rome to reform the Vatican finances, says a correspondent for the British Catholic magazine, The Tablet, Take Two Daily. Pope Francis has said zero tolerance for abusers. At the same time, there have been a number of cases where he's been accused of not having taken strong enough action. It's worth noting, Francis, the Pope, didn't force Cardinal Pell to resign. He'll wait for Australian justice to run its course before making a judgment himself. Pell was named in the long-running Australian Royal Commission report, with which Pell cooperated said a Vatican spokesperson. The Vatican said Pell would not participate in any public liturgical events during his leave. He didn't participate in a Mass on Thursday. For years, Pell faced allegations that he mishandled cases of clergy abuse as Archbishop of Melbourne and later Sydney. More recently, Pell himself became the focus of a clergy sex abuse investigation. Victoria detectives, that's the state in which Melbourne sits, flew to the Vatican to inter- interview him last year. It's not clear what the criminal charges against Pell involved, but two men now in their 40s have said that he touched them inappropriately at a swimming pool in the late 1970s when he was a senior priest in Melbourne. Last year, he testified to that royal commission into historical sexual abuse in the church that the institution had made, quote, enormous mistakes, unquote, in allowing thousands of children to be raped and molested by priests. He conceded that he, too, had erred by often believing the priests as opposed to the victims. He vowed to help end a rash of suicides that has plagued church abuse victims in his hometown of Ballarat. But he became also something of a scapegoat in Australia for all that went wrong with how the church handled the scandal. Can't handle the scandal, the pumps took the handles. Pope Francis has defrocked an Italian priest found guilty of the sexual abuse of minors, reversing an earlier decision by the Pope to reduce his punishment. Mauro Inzoli was defrocked five years ago after he was first accused of pedophilia. The decision reversed in 2014, Pope Francis just ordered him to stay away from minors and retire to a life of prayer and humble discretion. On Wednesday, though, the Diocese of Crema in northern Italy, that's the diocese that sits on top of your espresso, said Francis had ruled definitively in late May that Inzoli, sentenced to nearly five years in prison last year for sex abuse, would be stripped of his critical of, of his clerical status. The priest was dubbed Don Mercedes by the press for his taste for luxury cars. He was found guilty by a Cremona court of eight, abounds, eight counts of sexual abuse of children between 12 to 16 years old between 2004 and 2008. Prosecutors had slammed the Vatican a couple of years ago for refusing to hand over the results of an internal investigation into the priest. The court ruling found Inzoli had molested the youngsters during confessions or while they were away together on summer and winter camps and occasionally when they were in hospitals. One victim told the court the priest referred to a sort of, quote, 
baptism of the testicles, unquote, which he said was a Jewish ritual found in the Old Testament as a sign of affection between father and son. There appears to be no such ritual in the Old Testament or in Judaism. Yet. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Forever blessed 
tomorrow is another working day And I'm trying to get some rest So I'm trying From the United States of America, Santa Monica Division, this is Le Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. This week, an International Olympic Committee executive urged organizers of the 2020 Tokyo Games to continue trimming a budget that has far exceeded initial projections. That never happens. Japanese, I mean the budget exceeding. Japanese officials originally predicted they would spend less than $7 billion on the 2020 Games. That's, but that was 2024 side. They have seen that number grow even with significant reductions. The current estimate tops 12 billion. Almost double. But you know, not quite. It's important to us that when the cost of the games and the final analysis become public, they are going to be a reason to attract candidate cities rather than to scare them off, said John Coates of the IOC. So if, if we appear to be pushing very hard on saving money, it is for our own future that we do it, just as much as you want to do it for your taxpayers, he said. Money worries have prompted numerous cities to walk away from potential bids in recent years. The only two candidates left in the current cycle, L.A. and Paris, have put forth relatively slim proposals. L.A. has a $5.3 billion budget. That's not going to increase. Based on using existing venues, such as the Coliseum, Staples Center, and my grandmother's front room. Bid leaders believe they can cover all costs through various revenue streams. Wouldn't you like to pay for a still photograph of the pole vault? And a contribution from the IOC expected to fall in the $1 to $2 billion range. Paris is going to spend somewhat more if it gets the games because it must construct an expensive athlete's village to house the expensive athletes and a few other sites. Venue and infrastructure construction have driven much of the budget overruns in recent Olympics. Sochi in Russia spent a reported $51 billion on the 2014 Winter Games. Rio spent in excess of $13 billion on the Summer Games. Just last year, Tokyo organizers have said additional savings are possible through the use of existing or temporary facilities. They do have plans to move some events outside the city. Maybe North Korea? You know, hands across the thing. Because 
The Olympics, it's a movement, and we all need one every day. Hey, it's just money. Now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, look at uh, the week for the president, <laughs> president of the United States, which um, was sort of eventful, theoretically. Um, it was energy week. The administration has um, put forward a series of themed weeks. There was infrastructure week. I forget what the others were, but this was energy week to focus on its uh, proposals to increase oil production and gas production, other forms of fossil fuel energy production. Mm -mm. Um, And there were some events featuring Energy Secretary Rick Perry, who you may recall when he was running for president in 2012, memorably in in, uh, one of the debates, was uh, had said he wanted to eliminate three departments of the federal government, and he named two of them, and he couldn't remember what the third one was, and the third one was the Energy Department, which he's now a secretary of, because that's the way life works. There was uh, also the failure of Republican leadership in the Senate, despite brave announcements for days that they were going to try to get the Senate's version of a new repeal and replace Obamacare bill out the door, at least voted on, before the 4th of July recess. That didn't happen. Too many Republican senators from both the left and the right, you know, considering it's the Republican Party, let's say moderate and right-wing Republicans, uh, opposed the bill. Or, or were lukewarm about it. And uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell ultimately withdrew the bill, said he wasn't going to hold a vote, was going to use the 4th of July recess to come up with a new, new, like 2.2235 version of the Senate bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. And there was um, some toing and froing about whether Syria was planning a new chemical weapons attack, whether they had or not before, seemed to play into it. But all of this was overshadowed, as you may be aware, by a series of tweets the president sent attacking the hosts of a morning cable TV show called Morning Joe, co-hosted by the daughter of the former national security advisor in the Carter administration, Zbigniew Brzezinski, Mika Brzezinski, whom the president described in a tweet on Saturday as dumb as a rock. He'd already called her low IQ, crazy Mika, and called her co-host, Joe Scarborough, psycho Joe. You may remember on this program, Oh, last March during the, uh, I mean, March 2016, we had a uh, a tape, a found object of conversation off the air between Trump and Joe and Mika, which made it sound like they were best friends. And there were, in fact, allegations that they were favoring him during the primary campaign. They have changed their tune remarkably since he was elected, and he has responded in his um, 
particular way, described by Assistant Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's now holding the briefings instead of Sean Spicer, described by her as, if he gets punched, he punches back twice as hard. A uh, strategy he learned from his mentor, the late New York lawyer, one-time assistant to Senator Joe McCarthy, Roy Cohn. If Roy was only alive to see this, or maybe he is. Anyway, it was uh, an eventful week, as I say, overshadowed by those tweets which uh, generated angered response. One of them, the first one he said that, uh, or the second one he said that he, uh, Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski had stayed at his retreat in uh, Palm Beach, Mar-a-Lago, for three days and been pestering him uh, to hang out with him. But he said uh, she had she was bloody from a facelift, and so he didn't want to hang with him. Um, the more recent development in the story, such as it is, is the controversy over whether Trump offered to spike a story in the National Enquirer about Joe and Mika, who are both married but have both announced that they're going to leave their partners and marry each other if Joe and Mika would come to the White House and apologize for their coverage, or whether, in Trump's version, Joe had called the White House to ask for help in quashing the National Enquirer story. The the connection being Trump is good friends with the guy who owns the National Enquirer, who you can't write this, ladies and gentlemen, is named Mr. Pecker. You can't write that, but you can write the rest of it, maybe. This week, for the first time, all the teams are having some trouble accomplishing their tasks. And in a startling turn of events for the businessman turned chief executive, the fingers are pointing at him. Rick, great week for you and my energy team, right? Well, it's energy week, right? How's that going? Mr. President, uh, now I remember why I wanted to abolish this department. It's a big old thing. Tell me something I don't know. (laughs) We needed a Texas-sized man for the job, didn't we? So, how come the media's not focusing on energy week? Well, sir, I I hate to make excuses, so, um... I'll just borrow one somebody else made. Great. I'm almost listening. Well, sir, your your tweets are taking up all the oxygen. I mean, we held a great drill the hell out of the planet event a couple of days ago. You know, we could have given away free gasoline. We still wouldn't have drawn more than our own PR people to the thing. Okay, I'm hearing failure. <laughs> I thought you were a winner. Uh, I thought I was, too. I mean, I, I still think I am, but... But you're letting a little competition get in your way? Here's your task for this week. Outcompete the competition. Outcompete? You mean, you mean out-tweet? You've got a Twitter account, right? Uh, the, the, the department did. I, I did succeed in abolishing that. Get it back up. Use it. It's energy week. Nobody wants a low-energy energy week, right? Believe me. It's exciting. I've never been this challenged before in my whole career. And I've always been challenged. Sarah. It's my pleasure to serve you, sir. I know that. And you're doing great. Well, it's my pleasure to do great, sir. This is going to get tiresome real fast. Look, Sarah, 
I'm watching your briefings on TV. <laughs> Knowing that you're watching is a great honor. Not live, you understand. I have meetings and signings. But I TiVo you, and I watch you during some of the duller meetings. You think maybe you should lead your team? <laughs> Sean's doing a great job as our leader, sir. I'm just honored to be taking his place at the podium while he does whatever he does privately. You're defending my tweets so well, even I believe you. Believe me. Just part of the job, sir. Okay. Your task this week is just to keep doing more briefings. Well, I'll get right on preparing to do them. Just one thing. Mm -hmm. Be very careful. Oh, I think I can handle the reporters. Not about them. About everything. Like, I'm watching, right? Mm -hmm. I'd rather not see any blood on you. Can you make sure I don't? With God's help and my new GPS, I sure can. Reince. Yes, sir? Lots of rumors going around. Oh, I'm aware of that. I've heard some of them. I've, I've started some of them. Some people are saying I should stop tweeting. Sir, I've, I've always said your direct communication with your base is a very important source of power. I know, but it's like creeping out some of the Senate Republicans. Oh, you mean... The guys are men against you in the primary? Yeah, then you have a task this week. I was beginning to wonder. Stop me from tweeting. Uh, as far as I know, sir, you're doing it usually before sunrise? So, get up early. And you're in your private quarters? Hmm? Melania won't care. Uh, and according to my briefings, you're often tweeting while sitting on the... It's your task. The future of our team may well depend on it. Think you can do it? I think it would take at least a couple of armed Secret Service men to stop me, sir. Mitch. It's a pleasure to come over here, sir. Mm -hmm. We didn't get a health care bill through the Senate this week. No, we... Or should I say, you didn't get it through the Senate? Well, I am the Senate leader, but... Uh, Did you know it would be this difficult? Because I didn't. I thought you'd repeal, you replace, you move on. Didn't you? In, in all honesty, sir, I did know it was going to be a, a big lift, and, and for a lot of our members, a big ask. So instead, we've got a big nothing, right? Oh, no. I, I think we've got the bones. That's what you give a dog. <laughs> and a, a couple of weeks off so we can... Put some flesh on them. Yeah, I still don't understand what's so hard. You repeal, you replace. I said it a million times during the campaign. Just just a lot of moving parts, sir. I'd say it's like herding cats, but uh, that's just the Senate on a good day. You think maybe we need a new leader? Last time I looked, sir, I, I do have the confidence of my caucus. Caucus schmuckus. I'm talking about our team. I don't think it would necessarily inspire a heck of a lot of confidence if we tried to inject a leadership change into the process at this particular time. Okay. Your task, Mitch? Yes, sir. Make this not so hard. Like nobody thought it would be, right? Can you do it? We, we can definitely have some flesh on the bones. That would most likely result in it being uh, less hard going forward, just from the standpoint of... Uh, of it not being just bones. Yes, sir. Jared, you're getting gray hairs from all the jobs I've given you. That's a lot to keep on top of. If I didn't think you could do it, I would have felt worse about giving you the responsibility. <laughs> Got it. But big task this week. 
Hands a little full, but uh, sure. Don't mention hands. Uh, look, some people around the building are trying to get me to stop tweeting. Oh, they're crazy. Right now, I can't think of anything you're doing better than you're tweeting. That's how I feel. But is it? Is it Reince? I don't want to say it's Reince, but I don't want you to not say it. Okay. Can you keep him from stopping me? <laughs> couple of armed secret service guys at your private quarters should do it. I'll get right on it. I'd say three, just for Melania's sake. Done. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make tweeting great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. Again, this week, the Presidentus, the world's most unpopular hit. Now, the Apologies of the Week. We're so sorry. Tensions are simmering down. <laughs> simmering down. They're cooling down, I would say, but that's not me that wrote this. Between the TSA and the owner of an old Saybrook, Connecticut seafood market, the TSA apologized after taking a picture of a 15-pound lobster in a checked bag. Agents say the picture was only meant to educate the public about travel tips. They say they post pictures of items that they find on a regular basis. They say the lobster was not taken out just for the picture. They took it out to screen the inside of the container it was in. The owner of the seafood restaurant where the lobster was purchased has accepted the apology. Don't even know what went on there. Israeli officials apologized to a trio of Turkish journalists this week. The group complained of being subjected to humiliating treatment by Israeli security personnel at a conference in Tel Aviv. Communications Minister Ayub Kara issued an apology to the group, hailing the importance of recently re-established ties between Jerusalem and Ankara. An Israeli diplomat in Istanbul also issued an apology over the incident. So that's two apologies for one incident. The three journalists were invited by the Israeli embassy in Istanbul to attend the annual cybersecurity conference in Tel Aviv as special guests of the foreign ministry. But when they arrived at Cyber Week in Tel Aviv, one of them said she and two reporters from Fox Turkey, really, were pulled from the group of other journalists and made to go through a separate security check. I'd like to see the Turkish Sean Hannity go through that. Araz told the paper that Israeli security officials demanded she remove her headscarf. This is Sema Araz. During the security check, her two male colleagues were taken into a separate room and asked to remove their pants. Me, if it's all the same to you, I'll remove my headscarf. She said the security officials also broke some camera equipment while searching their belongings. An official from the prime minister's office also apologized to the three. I guess Israel doesn't want to tick off Turkey right about now. Belgian cyclist Jean Bacalantz has said he's sorry for a comment about the women who stand on the podium at the end of each stage of the Tour de France. Bacalantz told a Belgian newspaper he would, quote, carry a pack of condoms because you never know where those podium chicks have been hanging out, unquote. The women present gifts, flowers, and colored jerseys at the end of the stages of the race. Bacalantz made his comments when asked in an interview last Wednesday about sexual abstention during the Tour de France. The uh, sponsor of his team apologized for the comments, saying they were in very bad taste. 
The tour organizers also demanded an apology for, from him for the sexist remarks. Bacalan's 31 and married with a young daughter, said he was sorry on Twitter. Quote, my sincerest apologies to all those offended by my words in a so-called humoristic ITW. No idea what that means. My words have been inappropriate. The women often give a kiss to each cheek of the Jersey recipients, but the writers are not allowed to communicate with them. This isn't the first of these. In 2013, Slovak cyclist Peter Sagan apologized for pinching the bottom of a podium presenter during the Tour de Flanders race. He said, I'm so sorry, and I hope that she and anyone else I've offended knows how sorry I am. Lance Armstrong isn't looking too bad right about now, especially since the drug he took is reported this week to have been ineffective. Uh-oh. Dateline New York, Kendall and Kylie Jenner. You know them. They're famous for being Jenners. Apologized this week for vintage T-shirts superimposing their images with those of famous musicians. Ozzy Osbourne, Tupac Shakur, and the notorious B.I.G. I know, it said musicians. The sisters began selling the shirts this week online for $125 each as part of their brand. Sales of the shirts were halted and the apology issued after Osborne's wife, Sharon, and Voletta Wallace, the mother of B.I.G., complained of on the social media. Girls, you haven't earned the right to put your face with musical icons. Stick to what you know. Lip gloss, Osborne treated. On Instagram, Wallace wrote, I'm not sure who told the Jenners they had the right to do this. The disrespect of these girls to not even reach out to me or anyone connected to the estate baffles me. I have no idea why they feel they can exploit the death of Tupac to sell a T-shirt. This is disrespectful, disgusting, and exploitation at its worst. Un- three exclamation points at the end of that. Who would who would think you could exploit a rapper? The shirts were taken down, and Kylie Jenner tweeted in part, These designs were not well thought out, and we deeply apologize to anyone that has been upset and or offended, especially to the families of the artists, unquote. A statement later released by the sisters' brand said the shirts were one-of-a-kind repurposed vintage T-shirts, and the designs were randomly selected and not well thought out. They apologized for any insensitivity and added, we missed the mark completely. I'd like to, was it random by machine or human random? Doesn't say. A prominent venture capitalist, Chris Saka, who invested in, among other sites in Twitter, took to Medium. This week to talk about the VC industry, the venture capital industry, and its relationship with women and minorities. He also was an early investor in Uber and Instagram. He said, after listening to the stories of women who are speaking out about their experiences working in the tech industry, quote, it has become clear to me there's a much bigger underlying issue in this industry. I'm realizing at times I was a part of that. I've learned it's often the less obvious, less pervasive, yet pervasive and questionable everyday behaviors of men in our industry that collectively make it inhospitable for women. By stupidly perpetuating a culture rife with busting chops, teasing, and peer pressure to go out drinking, I made some women feel self-conscious, anxious, and fear they might not be taken seriously. Saka sprinkled, I am sorry, throughout the post. He declined to comment beyond the post or at post time. Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach has apologized for what he calls a misunderstanding that led to a $1,000 fine against him for misleading a court. He asked a U.S. magistrate to reconsider the fine. The judge had ruled Kobach misled the court about 
the content of materials he took into a November meeting with then-President-elect Trump, as well as a separate draft amendment to the National Voter Registration Act. Kobach contends a lack of clarity in a court filing was a mistake compounded by last-minute editing, saying it was made in good faith. He says he'll do a better job ensuring future arguments are presented more clearly. Dateline St. Louis, the Balloon Brigade, a popular staple in the annual Pride Fest parade, was hit with social media backlash for including a Blue Lives Matter flag on its float last Sunday. On Monday, the brigade's leader apologized and said the group which raises money for an AIDS charity would return two awards it won for the entry in its parade. We flew the Blue Lives Matter flag in honor of the lesbian daughter of one of our members, he said. She came out recently and then became a police officer. I was only thinking of what a great show of love and respect for his family this was. Hmm? The former president of the Screen Actors Guild has withdrawn his name from a reiteration of the original allegations since refuted by an accountant firm, former SAG president Ed Asner, who was the lead signatory on an April letter excoriating the union for alleged financial improprieties, has apologized for the publicity surrounding this letter at the time of our very important negotiations and withdrawn his name from a reiteration of the charges in published reports. In the statement, Asner expressed full confidence in several top officials of the union. That shows spunk. And I hate spunk. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And just checking in on our friends at Hanford, Washington, in news of our friend The Atom, there's a high risk that a second tunnel filled with radioactive waste might collapse at the Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington State. That's according to the Department of Energy. Hi, Rick Perry. A tunnel partially collapsed in May, forcing some 3,000 workers to shelter in place for several hours. There were no injuries, but the Energy Department has said it completed an evaluation of a second tunnel on the former nuclear weapons production site and says there's a high potential for the 53-year-old tunnel to collapse. There's a August 1 deadline to develop plans to prevent that. Tunnel 2 contains 28 flatbed rail cars containing nuclear waste. Tunnel 1 only contained 8 rail cars containing radioactive waste. So, good luck to us all. Now, who wants a break? Who wants a break from the, the the discipline of the free market? Why the uranium industry? Citing low prices and unemployment, the Wyoming Mining Association is making the case for a Wyoming tax cut on uranium uh, this week. The cuts worked once before in the early 90s when uranium price, prices slid. The state gave companies a break that lasted more than a decade. Critics say Wyoming can't afford to reduce mineral royalties during an economic downturn in which the state's income from oil, gas, and coal taxes has fallen too. Others say, on principle, the state shouldn't grant the tax breaks. Prices for yellow cake. Hey, Saddam, yellow cake. Tumbled as low as $18 per pound last year due to a worldwide uranium glut. Wonder why that is. Uranium companies need an incentive to invest in new mines and production while the market is suffering, said Travis Detty, president of the Mining Association. 
If the state loosens tax on the industry now, it will be able to grow in the downturn, and Wyoming will reap the tax benefits when prices rise. Otherwise, production is going to continue to decline as companies dig out the ore available at the existing mines and shy away from the cost of new operations. That would be the magic of the free market at work. We don't want that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USEN 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and WWNO.org. And it would be just like reinforcing that tunnel on the double if you'd agree to join with me, Ben Murray. Thank you very much, uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, in exile, and Hawaii desk. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. Me, you can email me or look up the playlist of the music on this program. That is your right and privilege at harryshear.com. And you can join the conversation with me on Twitter at the Shear. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network, so long from Santa Monica.